News. 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 New York City. F-A-Q. Hello, and welcome to FAQ NYC. I'm producer Alex Brooklyn, here with Professor Christina Greer, Ozzy Pabra, and for this week, forget the politicians, forget the reporters. We're bringing you the editorial board. Morning Post. Morning Post. City Desk. Just a moment. Just a moment, please. We have Mara Gay from the New York Times and Alyssa Katz of the New York Daily News. We often hear a lot about what paper is endorsing who during the election cycle. But what good are these endorsements? Do they actually matter in an election? And if so, how so? An endorsement can put a spotlight on a lesser-known candidate or legitimize a struggling incumbent with a few questionable moves under their belt. But does it really affect the elections? And do editorial boards in general affect how local government, well, governs? So Harry who's absent today, yelled into the Twitter void, What was the last consequential newspaper endorsement in New York? New York. And the Twitter void answered, Who are you and why aren't you paying attention to your kids? No, but seriously. Nobody really knows when the last time an endorsement mattered in an election, but everyone agrees it was a very long time. Errol Lewis of New York once said, the post coming out for Ed Koch in the 1977 mayoral primary was a big deal, since Koch was virtually unknown when Murdoch put the paper behind him. Josh Greenman of the New York Daily News noted that the paper went with Dinkins, who won a very tight race against Giuliani in 1989, and then switched to Giuliani when he won the very tight rematch in 1993. And about this year, Ben Max of the Gotham Gazette said, the story of the New York Times endorsement is much less about what it does for Cuomo and much, much more about what it does not do for Cynthia Nixon. Editorial boards also fuck with policy, not just elections. In 2001, when the mayor at the time, Rudy Giuliani, ever heard of him, wanted an extra 90 days in office to deal with the fallout from the September 11th attacks, all the editorial boards in the city said no. And well, it didn't happen. The next big power move came in 2009. The mayor at that time, Michael Bloomberg, wanted to extend term limits from two terms to three so he could run again. New York City voters had repeatedly voted to keep it at two. The Daily News, the New York Post, and the New York Times editorial boards all backed Bloomberg's push to extend term limits. And Bloomberg won re-election. This year, for the first time in a long time, editorial boards seem consequential again. Maybe that's because new voters are coming out and participating in local elections. Maybe that's because of Trump and the urgency many lefties feel to participate and resist. resist. LOL. Make, Make editorial boards, boards great, great again. again. We have Professor Christina Greer, who sits on the Amsterdam News' endorsement board, Mara Gay of the New York Times, Alyssa Katz of the Daily News, and we're gonna pull back the curtain a little bit on what the endorsement process actually looks like. The New York Times and the Daily News have both endorsed Zephyr Teachout for Attorney General. We recorded this episode on Wednesday morning, hours after the Times endorsed Governor Andrew Cuomo in the Democratic primary. Trump may have tweeted by the time you hear this. F-A-Q. 
So we wanted to talk about endorsements because I'm on the endorsement board for the Amsterdam News, which is one of the oldest black newspapers in the country. So we thought it'd be an interesting conversation just to see how process works and sort of get your thoughts on this all of a sudden very interesting New York State political season. Can you all uh, walk us through your endorsement board or editorial board process? Who's on it or how many people are on it and how do you all sort of get together and decide? who you're going to endorse and, and who you're even going to bring in. Mara? Sure. So we have about 10 or 12 people on our editorial board. Um, not everybody joins for every endorsement interview. Um, we all have beats, just like other reporters. So some people focus on politics. Other people focus on business, on international relations. So depending on what your beat is, you may or may not be interested. Um, but anyone that we endorse, we've interviewed, either usually in person, but sometimes in a pinch over the phone. Um, we've interviewed all the major candidates um, in, that, in that field, in that race. And we do that before, obviously, we make, make our decision. There's a lot of discussion, and uh, we come at things from just trying to find the best candidate. So the best candidate doesn't always necessarily mean the candidate that you all think will win, just the best candidate. Oh, yeah. We're not in the... You never want to be picking folks who... Uh, only lose or who never win <laughs> elections, right? But um, that's not where we're coming from. I mean, I, I think the idea is, you know, you're, it's a big deal to, to, or we hope it is, to put the seal of the New York Times um, onto a candidate. And so we just want um, to help voters kind of sort through uh, the politics of it and, and figure out who we think is the best candidate for the city or the state in this case, mm -hmm. and um, or the country. And we come at it from that, not from who has the best chance to win. Gotcha. At the Daily News, we have four people in total on the editorial board. And while we each individually have specializations, and we have one person who, who skews more national, and I tend to skew more local, um, we are all involved in the endorsement process for, for all candidates um, to differing degrees. and. Um, we, uh, for executive races, you know, mayor, governor, president, um, we do interviews in, in person. Um, for legislative races, just for expediency's sake, because we have uh, so few bodies, we generally now do them all over the phone, which, you know, is, has its limitations. Um, when, when I do phone interviews, I know I try to make sure to also catch those candidates um, doing debates, like watching them on New York One or seeing their debates in person. And it's unfortunate, but it's just a reality. As we all know, the Daily News has uh, you know, suffered a lot of cutbacks, and we just are making... Uh, the best of what we have. Um, and in that process, I think very similar to uh, what Mara is describing about the New York Times, we are really looking for the best candidate. And we're also applying the on a daily news worldview to that evaluation. So that worldview is really uh, asking the question to ourselves, who is um, a candidate best suited to serve the working people of New York City and state, who will um, uphold reasonable law and order, a balance between uh, law enforcement and uh, kind of appropriate restraint in the use of law enforcement and, and keeping all that in balance. We think a lot about budgeting and who is going to be the most fiscally responsible because we care about taxpayers. And there's certain litmus test issues for us as well. For example, we are going to be, we're going to tend to favor uh, a little bit more on the scale, someone who is a supporter of charter schools as opposed to somebody who just says, 
we, I don't like charter schools and will not uh, encourage them. Formerly under our old uh, publisher, Mort Zuckerman, Israel was very important to us, less so now that we're owned by Tronc. So there's a whole series of litmus test issues that we apply, uh, congestion pricing, or if they're for it, we like that. No one issue is dispositive, but it kind of all goes into the blender uh, and into our evaluation. Do you all ever feel like there's any cross-pollination between your two endorsement boards? Do you Do the people at the Times ever think about the Daily News and vice versa? I Just speaking, you know, for the Daily News, I, I know I personally pay attention. Like, for example, I believe that um, in the um, congressional race in central Brooklyn, uh, in the primary uh, earlier this year, when the Times endorsed Adam Bunkadenko, we noticed that over Yvette Clark. I mean, and that was, you know, clearly, even though Bunkadenko didn't win, the fact that he had gotten the Times endorsement clearly affected the race and got him significantly more votes than he would have otherwise received. And so we do pay attention. It won't be, it, again, another thing that goes into the blender for us. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. I think that the same is, is true for us. And that's not just true of editorial boards. That's also true of um, the endorsement of certain groups, for example. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, one thing that the Times is very um, interested in is campaign finance reform and voting reform mm -hmm. um, and congestion pricing as well. So if we see people who um, have been advocating for those issues, you know, if they're calling us, telling us to, you know, really pay attention to one candidate that someone's really good on, on this, then then we, we certainly listen. I mean, there's, you know, we make our, our decisions on our own, but but there's a lot of reporting that actually goes into endorsements. It's not just sitting back and, and watching and deciding, you know, who we like and picking them out of a hat. I mean, you really want to vet all the candidates um, in the same way that, you know, a presidential campaign would vet a vice presidential candidate. Mm -hmm. It's very similar. How do you all do the write-ups? Um, at the Daily News, we split them up, right? We each take on, uh, sometimes it's a geographic breakdown, sometimes it's about who's available, sometimes it's about who has... Uh, expertise in a kind of particular um, like uh, area or, or you know or topic that's really uh, significant in a particular race, um, but yeah, we we individually draft them, but then we collectively review them pretty intensively, and we we try as much as possible to all be in on those endorsement calls. But sometimes we're in a position where only one person has done the call or two people have done the call, in which case there is a bit more deference to the individual who had done that. But it's all a collective process in the end. So for the Amsterdam News and uh, endorsement board, anyone who's on the ballot can come in. And that means not just front runners and sort of potential superstars, but that's anyone who has the signatures. It's my understanding that the Daily News and the Times don't necessarily operate that way, or, or am I incorrect? We don't have a single litmus test that says if you have, you know, X amount of support in the polls, you can come in or not. I mean, it, 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 I, I would like to be more transparent than, than this, but um, we don't have a specific test for that. I mean, I think we do want to pick candidates who are running campaigns that are, I guess, out there. I mean, there's sometimes you have like a slew of candidates who literally are not even really running a campaign. Their name is just on the ballot. They've maybe got enough signatures, but they don't have volunteers. They're not getting any support. And and you know for or us in that that's not 2014 just a race when uh, there was a woman in the race against Charlie Rangel and no one had ever met her. <laughs> right. I mean, if you're not out there campaigning, mm -hmm. you know, then uh, I think it's hard for us to take the time to take that seriously, because if you're not taking the campaign seriously, right. then then why why should why should we? But it doesn't mean that we won't interview people who are, um, you know, dark horses. Mm -hmm. How much is electability a factor in the endorsements? Alyssa? 
Um, I'd say electability is a factor for us, probably more than it, it, it ought to be, because, I mean, and not just because in hindsight we saw what happened with uh, Joe Crowley and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but that's a great case in point. The, the Daily News Board uh, ended up uh, interviewing and um, I think making endorsement in the Clark Bunkadenko race. And we, um, you know, did that, I think in part, I happen to live in the district. We may have a Brooklyn bias on, uh, on the board. Hadn't frankly paid attention at all to what was happening with Ocasio-Cortez because it was just off our radar. And so uh, we may have just kind of made a passing mention in our endorsement package, but it wasn't actually a real endorsement. It was saying Crowley is good enough, let's keep him. You know, and it was partly, and we had numerous conversations about it, but it, it came down in part to consideration of electability there. That was a factor. It wasn't the only factor, but it was. And I think we have to reevaluate that. It's a factor, but it's not It's not the only factor. I mean, you just want to know, in, in the case of Ocasio-Cortez, it's interesting. It's a good example because um, she's someone who really was running a very impressive, fierce campaign. And so she had volunteers out on the ground. She had a campaign structure. And those are the people you want to pay attention to, I think, um, who do deserve more attention than we give them. Versus, we didn't, we didn't bring her in. We didn't endorse in that race, but we did write about it. Yeah. I, in fact, I, you know, wrote a piece about the um, how uh, Joe Crowley didn't show up yeah. mm -hmm. to a debate. Yeah, um, but he did send someone who sort of resembled Ocasio Cortez for one of the debates. Indeed, he did. Right, which, so which, which she noted on Twitter. Yeah, he had a Latina woman. Right, did it. Annabelle Palmer, a, a former, former city council member, um, who was voted one of the least productive. City council members, I believe, during her I believe tenure. I believe it was Annabelle Palmer. Um, right, but, but it, it was a city council member who showed up and it cost what says tweets. Crowley didn't show up, but he sends a Latina woman who has a passing resemblance. Right. right. I mean, there's also, again, like Alyssa said, there's a question of resources. And so if you can't do every race, then. But, but j just to hold on to the question of electability, w what is the downside? to endorsing someone who doesn't win. Do, do, do you guys at the, at the editorial boards, if, 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 we, if we can walk into that secret room, <laughs> do you guys like have a scoreboard that says we endorse people and they lost and that's like a strike against us? Because some people do that one-to-one -one math and say endorsements matter because X number of people with the endorsement won or endorsements don't matter because they lost. Is it about electability or do you use endorsements to make statements about issues and and candidates themselves uh, obviously the joe crowley the, the uh, andrew cuomo endorsement in many respects was about cynthia nixon's shortcomings in terms of management experience and uh, preparedness to govern so it seemed to be only half about cuomo for the governor's race so how much is electability factoring into the winning and losing. It's funny. Electability cuts one of two ways. One is the way I just described about you know, what, how we just said, okay, Crowley's the most electable, he's good enough, let's keep him, and better be good enough, in our opinion. Um, but it's often will work against incumbents, though, because the Daily News has a strong bias against, anti, against incumbent uh, machine politicians, um, especially those who... Uh, whose entanglements raise ethical issues, right? And so we will often critique candidates for, let's say, if they're in the state 
um, you know, legislature for taking LULUs, you know, extra bonus payments on their salaries. For so doing their job. For doing their job. And yes, their salaries are too low, but instead of voting to fix uh, the huge ethical problems and or raise their pay or anything else in the legislature, they just have these uh, kind of corrupting workarounds. We don't like that. So uh, you could go down the list of a number of other uh, issues that incumbents bring with them that we will often use against them. And so we've many a time we've ended up endorsing uh, insurgents who end up not winning. And then we end up in the weird position of having to then, you know, deal with the incumbent when they're reelected and, you know, everyone's a grown up and they can move on, but it, it just makes them, you know, it's not the coziest of relationships. Are there any grown ups who can't move on? Um, no, and I can get so I mean, I mean, going back to Ozzy's question, because I always joke that the New York Times endorsement is like the kiss of death, right? Yeah. So I right. mean, there's so many examples of you all endorsing someone, and then that person was was a front runner, and then doesn't win. To be fair, the opposite <laughs> has also happened. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the New York Times endorsement clearly does mean something. We had Mark Green on last week, and he said that when the New York Times endorsed him, he shot up in the polls by 50 well, percent. Well, to, let me. I mean, to put it in some context, I think that um, the New York Times has. Um, become, you know, increasingly interested in reform and reformist candidates um, whenever possible. Uh, at the same time, and this is not unrelated, while I think New York politics has, um, you know, we've always had machine politics here. This is the home of Tammany Hall. But at the same time, the, the, uh, the kind of problems with it have become more and more evident, especially as uh, the subways are collapsing and as um, affordable housing has become more and more an issue. And I think that those two issues have really driven um, the way we think about the need for kind of some fundamental change in, in politics. But you know, it's tough because politics doesn't always catch up. So I think we do find ourselves in a situation where we might be uh, you know, over the past 10 years, endorsing some candidates who uh, are, there are, are, they are our ideal candidates, but it doesn't mean that they are the best positioned to win in this environment. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, listen, I think New Yorkers are more engaged in politics in part because of Donald Trump. Um, I think they're looking at what's going on in their own backyard and they're thinking, well, this is pretty messed up here. We have a really uh, powerful state a lot, huge economy, and yet our subway is literally crumbling before our eyes. So what is wrong with this picture here? Right. And I think it's not all corruption. A lot of it is, um, quite frankly, legal, but it's just dysfunction. Right. And so I think we're kind of coming at this this year from a position of here are the challenges we have uh, that need to be solved. Here's what we would like our politics to look like, and how can we really throw our support um, as much as possible behind those candidates who will get us there. So speaking specifically about candidates, both of your papers have currently endorsed in the AG's race, and both of your papers have endorsed Zephyr Teachout. So can you walk us through what that process was? You all spoke to all four candidates, I'm assuming? Yes. Yes, we also we spoke to all four, and you know we had some deliberation about uh, about it. Um, but in the end, for you know because the Daily News is so committed to ethics reform to a strong stand on Trump um, and to also just really um, the power of like smart 
analytic uh, policy thinking as part and parcel of politics and really thinking strategically about how do you actually implement your ideas and not just put out slogans. I mean, on all of those fronts, um, and, and electability too was, was a factor, um, we uh, felt that TeachOut was the strongest candidate, which is particularly remarkable because recall that in 2014 when she ran for governor against uh, Cuomo, the Daily News was quite harsh against her, um, and some of the editorials were, were pretty, frankly, pretty vicious. And for the Amsterdam News, uh, Sean Patrick Maloney did not come in, so we actually went with uh, Tish James and sort of a nice paragraph about Zephyr, similarly to the way the Times had an endorsement of Zephyr and a really nice paragraph about Leisha Eve. So, can you actually tell us a little bit about what you know, uh, what that process was like specifically around <laughs> endorsing uh, our process the public little, advocate? Our process is a little different. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing: Eleanor Tatum, who's the publisher of the Amsterdam News, you know, took over after her father. Anyone can come. If you're on the ballot, anyone can come um, and make an appointment in f to, to meet with the board. The board is about seven people. For that process, she puts the email address on the front of the paper. So it's not, you know, sort of this kind of backroom dealing like, you know, you talk to someone's campaign manager or whatever it may be. She wants to know if you and your people are reading the paper. So some candidates miss it because they don't read the Amsterdam news and so their campaign folks don't email. Um, there's only one day for endorsements, so you need to move Helen High Water if you're out of town. Like, we don't do phone calls. We've done it once, uh, twice for the governor four years ago because Zephyr Teachout opted not to come in, so we allowed him to call in. And this year there was an emergency, some flooding in Albany, and he was supposed to be there in person and, and called in. Wait, did Zephyr show up this year? Yes, she did. Did you ask her about four years ago not showing up? Yeah. And I mean, Eleanor. It takes it very seriously. Um, and what did Zephyr say? I'm she just, you know, Eleanor didn't harp on it, but, um, you know, it's just sort of like I, I wasn't aware. Like, I, I wasn't sort of, it wasn't on my radar. Um, but there is an email address, and you have one day. And so we're there basically from, like, 9 to 7. we got to rethink ours. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> we're there. One, and, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a train, right? I mean, we're seeing everyone. And if, so, I, you know, before I let you guys go, I do want to get sort of your craziest stories because we've gotten people, you know, for city council races who are technically on the ballot. And, you know, this is 2013. Someone came in. You know, we, we had, like, Wiener and, and uh, Spitzer and, you know, Stringer and de Blasio and Lou. I mean, every, like, lots of people come in. Christine Quinn didn't come in in 2013. But, you know, one woman came in. She's like, I'm, like, three months sober, and I just think this is a really good opportunity for me to run for office. We're all like, wow, okay, well, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we've had people who, like, run every year in every single race and they've got literature that's just kind of generic and then they want it back. I mean, like, we're seeing a real <laughs> cross-section of like New Yorkers who want to be engaged. Um, but you know, this year, Tish, Leisha, and Zephyr came in and um, you know, Tish has a long relationship, long-standing relationship with the Amsterdam News. And so I think that's partially where some of the endorsement came in. But the board was very impressed with Zephyr. Um, for this particular role as someone who literally wrote the book on corruption. Um, and I think this this particular office is best suited for her skill set. So that's why um, you'll notice oftentimes, even in 2013, when the paper endorsed Bill Thompson, again, someone who's had a long-standing relationship with the Amsterdam News, there's a very nice paragraph about Bill de Blasio. Mm -hmm. um, so we sort of 
I'm not going to call it hedging bets, but you know, sometimes we like two people, but Eleanor is very clear we're endorsing one person, but we can also well, uh, nod to someone else. Well, that that raises a, a question in my mind as someone who's not on an editorial board of anything. Um, how much does the publisher? You're on my editorial board, Ozzy. <laughs> I'm on the editorial board <laughs> of my apartment. Um, how much does the publisher get to influence or say we're going in this direction? I mean, there, there was a lot of reports about Michael Bloomberg calling up. Mort at the Daily News, a Salzberger at the Times, and saying, this is the way it should go, and the message coming down from on high. How much does the editorial board sort of listen to the publisher that sort of like owns the paper, and how much is it carte blanche? Well, it's kind of boring for the Daily News now, because, you know, Tronk owns the Daily News. They say, do So it's a Max want. Headroom hologram that calls in and tells you what to do? You know, it doesn't say a thing. <laughs> Max Headroom just nods quietly. So that's, that's fine by us. So Tronk has other things to think about right now. So, um, but yeah, Mort certainly, I wasn't around so much in the Mort era, but Mort was certainly known to have uh, made its feelings known, and that was seen in certain presidential right. endorsements that I was not present for. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, uh, you know, nothing is entirely a democracy at any of these these places, but um, I, it's not as though someone comes from on high and, and calls you and says, this is what we're going to do. That's, that's not quite how it works. Um, I will say we have all gotten a full court press from uh, Cuomo folks and, <laughs> and their um, emissaries. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. So what have been, without names or positions, unless you feel like sharing with our listeners, what's been your craziest endorsement board story? I mean, you're sort of relatively new to the process because you weren't on the endorsement board at the Journal, right? When you had the Wall no, Street I was not on the editorial um, board at the Wall Street. So do you all have any exciting stories from this season or past season? I just have two stories and we'll gladly name names. And one was actually the phone call I will uh, always regret missing, which was the uh, Dominic Recchia, um, I forget what he was running for at that point, but uh, I wasn't able to make the call. My Three of my colleagues were on the phone with him for about an hour and just said it was just the, he was just the most like unhinged, un, uh, incoherent uh, person they had interviewed in memory. And the headline on the editorial was Train Recchia. So that's like the meeting I missed was the nice. was was that one, but also just on a on a more uh, you know and and Dominic yeah. Recchia for those who don't recall, had had a very small position called finance chair of the New York City Council at one point. So yes, and and he he just was wasn't right. uh, cutting it at that point. But then also I think more seriously the Bernie Sanders interview, um, mm-hmm. which I was there for and which really made national news, which was you know we. Um, put up the uh, audio, we put up the transcript, and Bernie at that point showed himself, uh, because we, our editorial page editor at the time, Arthur Brown, uh, grilled him pretty hard and asked him, how many people do you think died in Gaza? And Bernie had overstated it by a factor of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and we corrected him right there on the spot. And then also we asked him, uh, how do you get on the subway? And he said, oh, with a token, of course. And we said, aha, <laughs> use a Metro card. So that, sometimes the editorial board meetings, we, we use them at the Daily News to make news in a way, uh-huh. as, as much as to make an endorsement. And that was a, a, a wild and intense meeting I'll never forget. Mara? I don't have any uh, spectacular stories in the, the first five months so far, but you know, I was actually, I was fortunate enough to be out on Fire Island this weekend, and it was like anybody who may know me who also may have some uh, phone number for or relationship with the governor was uh, calling, emailing, texting. <laughs> uh, Just like, hey, girl. Like, what, what, I mean, what'd what you is- think of the bait? 
So, what what do you think of the debate? So, what what are you guys going to do? I know you can't tell me anything, but uh, I <laughs> but I'm still texting you. Something? Is that is, <laughs> um, is that the full court press that you were talking about? Oh, it's and it's been going on. Yes, it's been going on, you know, for the past five months, but it's intensified. Uh-huh. Um, and I just want to say, for the record, in case anybody might be listening, pre anyone, just, just in case anyone, just in case anyone cares. Um, it's not actually helpful. It had no bearing on our endorsement whatsoever. It just drives us crazy. Did it hurt? <laughs> does, it, does it hurt, though? Oh, it, I think, if anything, it has the potential to hurt. I mean, ultimately, it didn't really affect this because our decision-making is not, oh, who, you know, who are we less annoyed with today? It's who's, who's the best candidate for New York? Um, so, but it, but it, is, it is actually not helpful. How, how much does the editorial board think about endorsing in one race in, re, in reflection to another race? Like, there seems to be this notion that Andrew Cuomo is going to win, therefore it's safer to sort of go with him with flaws and then counterbalance it in the attorney general's race. That's how some people think voters act. Do editorial boards act the same way? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think ultimately it's not um, a driving factor. It's a, it's a thought that sometimes occurs to us, particularly in legislative races. If we're sort of, I mean, I know we the Daily News took some heat uh, for its council endorsements uh, in the last round because we pretty much endorsed men entirely. And I and I was partly responsible for that and owned that. But it was just our usual, like, okay, let's be um, race-blind, gender-blind, let's just make the best decision we can, and we ended up with that result. So we're trying to be you know, thoughtful about what the picture looks like as well, but it's difficult because you're really looking at the candidates' merits and the individual races. So balancing all that out can be, can be challenging. I mean, look, we said explicitly in our, in our endorsement of, of Andrew Cuomo that uh, – we feel like it's very important that if he serves a third term as governor, that there are stronger checks um, on his power and influence, and also that there are, you know, we support reformist candidates um, like Zephyr Teachout who um, can keep an eye on that office of the governor, can um, uh, not just serve as a check, but also kind of push him where we feel he needs to go um, on behalf of New Yorkers. And I think the same is true, we've said, of the state Senate. We've, we've broadly supported uh, anti-IDC candidates. Mm-hmm. We feel we've come out also in favor of um, a fully Democratic Senate, state Senate, but not just um, a Democratic Senate, hopefully a Democratic Senate that's led by reformers. And I think that's a big difference. I mean, Andrew Cuomo is a Democrat. Um, we do not want to see the IDC replicated. And uh, there's, you know, we're, we're very open about that at this point. So much of what it appears to me with some of these endorsements is this idea that Cuomo is the heir apparent. You know, I think some people feel, in even the Times endorsement board said, you know, it's like Cynthia Nixon just possibly doesn't have the, the roots um, to, to be in this office. So if that's the case, we're looking at the AG's race as someone who will be that foil to the governor. Where does Tish James factor in that for you all? When you all were in that meeting, did you all sort of feel like uh, possibly endorsing Tish meant essentially, okay, so we're just giving Andrew Cuomo a partner um, in Albany? Or how did, how did that relationship work? Or did you all just see it as something totally different and separate? My, I, I think James has a lot to offer uh, as, you know, she, she could serve well as attorney general, but my concern with her was quite specifically about her record as a litigator. She had, in the public advocate's office, um, repeatedly 
sued, a lot of suits were dismissed for lack of standing. And one case in particular that really concerned me, and it relates to the relationship with Cuomo, had to do with the suing ACS in order and demanding a monitor. This is the Administration for Children's Services. She did this with a nonprofit group to sue the city and state, immediately settled with Cuomo. Um, and then the two of them together um, went and made demands on the city of New York, that which were and ended up being successful. They got a, a kind of evaluations in place, but the judge ultimately threw out the class action suit she attempted to bring and said, "This is just a hodgepodge of um, different cases. There's no thread through them. This isn't really a class action suit. Get out of here." Mm -hmm. um, so you know, it was that kind of record that made me think. You know, strategically, she may not be the best qualified to be attorney general. Um, we, we were looking for someone who would be independent, not just from the governor, but also from special interests, from the real estate industry, from Wall Street, and someone who had substantial legal chops. What you really need is a um, very sharp legal mind um, and one who can, someone who can actually recruit the best talent, legal talent in the country. And um, Zephyr Teachout, it's very clear, um, is the expert nationally on public corruption. She's also the architect of um, the work on the emoluments clause, um, which is the case against Donald Trump and his self-enrichment, um, you know, his use of the office for self-enrichment, which um, Zephyr feels is against the Constitution. And I think the, the idea of independence was, is extremely important for that office especially. You know, Sean Patrick Maloney, he seems to be a very effective member of Congress, but uh, when you're taking $150,000, at least in real estate money, um, you know, listen, real estate employs a lot of people. There's nothing wrong. We're not anti-real estate, mm -hmm. per se. That's not the issue. The issue is um, we want people who are not beholden to an industry that is dominant, and I would say, frankly, that has a huge, there's a huge power imbalance in New York. And as we discussed last week, the attorney general could go after not only Donald Trump, but the swamp that he came from, which goes by the name of New York real estate. This real estate is very important to me. It's ruthless. It's the most important thing I've ever done. I'm napalm. How soon do you guys start endorsing presidential candidates? Are you going to run? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> I am not announcing my candidacy, although my mom, I think, would like to see me in office one day. When do you, when, when do you really have to start scheduling the Elizabeth Warrens, Camilla Harris's... And the oh other... God, I can't even think yeah. about it right now. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> In the Daily News, we do everything very, very last minute. I don't think it's any, uh, you know, we'll see what the Democratic field looks like. I think we have to have some clarity, but we, we really wait till there's some momentum. So we wait pretty late into the season. We, we generally try and endorse between seven and ten days before an election. There are exceptions to that. Um, and I think one would be the Zephyr Teachout endorsement, which came early in part because we, we know that that race is close and we really want the candidates in that case to be able to use our endorsement um, as much as possible mm -hmm. in their campaigning. And then last question, are you going to put your email addresses on the front page for candidates to contact the editorial <laughs> boards? No. No way. <laughs> <laughs> we tried, folks. Right. Right. Thank you all so much for coming and really appreciate it. F-A-Q. This week, we recorded in Alex Brooklyn's apartment in the West Village. FAQ was brought to you by a grant from Civil, a blockchain company rewriting the economics of journalism. And if you're listening to FAQ, take us into the voting booth on September 13th. That's a Thursday. Vote for governor. Vote for lieutenant governor. Vote for attorney general. Vote for this podcast. No, seriously, on iTunes, leave us a rating. If you're going to talk shit, do shit. <laughs>
<laughs> Are you threatening people? Yes. A little bit. I mean, you, like, if you're going to talk all the talk, go to the voting booth and vote or just shut up. News. 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 New York City. F-A-Q. F-A-Q.